0: Welcome to the Dark Light Show My name is Josh <laughs> I hope everybody is doing well today And, um, you know, if we, if we say the term New World Order Or One World Government Ten years ago, many of us would have been laughed at in society and 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 ridiculed for our conspiracy theorists And said, oh my god, what are you talking about? Not this New World Order stuff again But see, You don't have to be a genius to figure it out right now, of what is happening in the world. Now, the interesting thing is, is there's a lot of people out there um, who are below the genius level who haven't figured it out, and that's okay. But, you know, we've been warned multiple times. Just recently, I was talking about a gentleman by the name of Aaron Russo. If you don't know who Aaron Russo is, he's a, a former famous former Hollywood producer, he produced uh, movies like uh, Trading Spaces with Eddie Murphy and The Roads with Bette Midler. Um, he passed away around, I think, 2011, 2012 of a very aggressive type of cancer. Rightfully so, because he was out there exposing the truth about a lot of different things. He did a documentary called Freedom to Fascism. And this uh, uncovered the, the fraud of the Internal Revenue Service. And... Basically, showing that the 16th Amendment, through Supreme Court decree, made no new taxes. There was no reason for the 16th Amendment in the first place. That happened in 1913, around the same time as the Federal Reserve Act. He went into the law, the U.S. Code. He went into the the tax code and showed that there was no law on the books that requires you to pay a tax. That all of our income taxes are actually voluntary. Voluntary. And that the word income, as defined by the Supreme Court in 1916, meant capital gains. Gains from business transactions, not wages. And Aaron Russo warned us of what was coming. Aaron Russo had a good friend. His good friend's name was a guy by the name of Lawrence Rockefeller. Pretty well-known name there. And yep, Lawrence Rockefeller, obviously one of the members of the Rockefeller family. And Lawrence Rockefeller sat Aaron Russo down one day and told him what the plan was. What the plan was to implement a world government. What the plan was and how it would all unravel. And Aaron, learning this information, began to tell people, began to tell the world, and eventually passed away. But he wasn't the only one. You know, Anne Rand... She warned us, too. Listen to this quote from Anne Rand and tell me what you think. When you see that trading is done, not by consent, by, but by compulsion. When you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission from men who produce nothing. When you see that money is flowing to those who deal, not in goods, but in favors. When you see that men get richer by graft and by poll. Than by work, and your laws don't protect you against them, but protect them against you. When you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming self-sacrificed, you may know that your society is doomed. It's interesting to look back in the history, to look back into these people who were spreading this message and warning us. John F. Kennedy, in his famous speech to uh, I forgot the name of the uh, what it was, but the White House press uh, press conference, not press conference, it was press dinner. That's right, it was the White House press dinner. That we are ruled by a ruthless conspiracy. That people are trying to undermine the sovereignty of our country, of our nation, of our world, and implement a world government. This has been told to us multiple times throughout history. And why is it now that we're actually listening? Why is it now that people are actually waking up and saying, whoa, what's going on here? You know, one thing I I enjoy doing sometimes is getting on, on Facebook. I don't get on there often. I post maybe once every four or five months on my personal Facebook profile. We do have a a, a red pills project page though on Facebook, like 16,000 subscribers on there or followers on there. And uh, we're fairly active on that page, myself and my team, but I tend to go onto my personal Facebook profile and I'll go through and, and look at the comments and, and occasionally I'll see somebody and I will just, uh, I'll just poke the bear. I do. I do trigger warnings, right? And it's just to see kind of the rhetoric that comes out of people. It's just to see what people are thinking within their minds. And just recently I had one of these uh, these adventures on Facebook. And this guy was a troll, and definitely a troll. But it was interesting to, to see the perspective of this person. Because typically what I see from people who are uninformed is I see headline reading. I see them uh, adapt to a certain ideology of thought, of belief. And they simply go out there and they have enough information to stir the pot, but not back themselves up with facts or data. And they sit out there and they just regurgitate talking points without any relevance to truth. And you know, that's one of the biggest problems right now in the United States of America is that people simply believe everything they're told, that they read, that they see and hear simply because someone told them or that they heard it. It came from an authority. They learned it. An education, a teacher taught them. You know, as human beings going through this life, we have a certain responsibility to ourselves. We have a certain responsibility to our community. We have a certain responsibility to the rest of humanity. And when it comes to truth, when it comes to facts, that responsibility should be taken very, very serious. And we should question that information that comes into our senses. We should question Everything anybody tells us, whether it's me or or whatever authority anybody possesses, question it. Don't simply believe it just because it aligns with your ideology. Don't believe it because it sounds good. Question it. Questioning things is the real discovery of truth. When you question anything, you tend to look into it, dig into it, investigate it hypercritically analyze it. When you look at things from that perspective, when you dig deep and invest time into it, knowledge is discovered. When that knowledge is discovered, you can easily turn it into wisdom. And that comes about through action. But when we become these echo chambers or this regurgitation of other people's thoughts and ideas... Who are we but not ourselves? And I think that's the biggest problem right now in the world, in society, and in particular the United States of America, is it doesn't matter if it's the left or the right. I mean, it happens on both sides, and it happens abundantly on both sides, probably more on the left than it does on the right. And that's because of this movement that we're in right now within the right, the awakening of the right, the wokeness of the left. But it doesn't matter whether it's politics, corruption, whether it's, you know, cultural adhesion, whether it's uh, dogma, you know, spiritual beliefs or whatever it might be. We must do the due diligence ourselves. If there's something that we are going to talk about with other people, if there's something that we are going to go out there and enjoy as a level of knowledge and information... We owe it to ourselves to investigate it, to research it, to analyze it at its core, to find the foundation of where this came from. One of my favorite things to do, besides get on Facebook and and call out trolls, is uh, to study words, specific words, primarily within the the spiritual and the, the religious context. And uh, when, you, when you look into the root structure of words, this is called etymology, the study of uh, the root structure of words. And I find it absolutely fascinating where many of the words in our current language come from. And so etymological dictionaries, they don't necessarily tell you the origins of where these words come from or the sounds and they'll show you the root structure and kind of where they believe it came from. But then you have to dig into history to find out where a lot of these things came from. With that, we have to understand that language has been weaponized. Our language is used against us. Now, what do I mean by that? And this is one of the reasons I I study words, is because I want to get down to the foundation of the knowledge. I want to get down to the foundation of what they mean. And words have been weaponized. We were just talking about Aaron Russo. And the 16th Amendment says that Congress shall have the ability to lay taxes on all income. Well, that makes sense because in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, it says that Congress has the ability to lay taxes, any taxes they want, as long as they're apportioned. The problem with the income tax is that's not apportioned. Supreme Court case in 1915 determined that Congress can't lay, lay deportionated taxes. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. I'm going to get into some cool topics here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about money, definitions, legality, and this type of thing in just a minute. We'll be back with more Dark Light Show right after this. Hello. Dark delight with Josh Reed on the WYSL stations. Dark man, Dark man. All right, we are back with the Dark Delight show. We're actually going to go to the call, uh, the, the lines right now. We got a caller, Armando. Armando, how are you doing today? I'm good. Can you hear me all right? Uh, yeah, I
1: can hear you good. What's up, man? Thank you for having the courage to take on the income tax theft issue. Um, I've been fighting against income taxes since 1999 when I stopped being a tax preparer. Um, I realized after 20 years of tax preparation that I was part of the problem. <laughs> so um, if you want to know more, and it seems like you know a lot, I would suggest that you and listeners take a look at a, at a book that changed my life. It's called The Income Tax, Root of All Evil. Written by Frank Chordoff. C-H-O-D-O-R-O-V. This man wrote it in the 1950s. At that time, the income tax, uh, I believe it came around in 1916, 1913, somewhere around there. So it was only, you know, maybe 40 to 50 years, not even, 40 years around. So it was fresh. In everybody's mind but we this generation the generation before us the generation after us we have no idea what they're doing to our paychecks
0: you're you're absolutely right and the thing about paychecks is that a wage is an equal representation of time and energy it's not an income as defined by the supreme court in 1916 as capital gains derived from business transactions the other aspect of this as well is there's the content of lawful money and this is a red pill topic that I absolutely love to talk about, and I just recently got back into this topic. but And that's where I'm going to talk about and kind of take this here in a second, because Donald Trump actually wrote a forward to a book on tax code. And in the forward, he talks about lawful money and how he utilizes the, the idea and the conceptualization of lawful money to basically pay no taxes. And my friend sent this to me and I started investigating this and I went straight to the U S code. I went straight to the United States constitution. I went straight to the laws and it's right. They're, they're, they're absolutely correct on this because you have to deal with the definitions of words. You have to understand the context of the constitution was written in at the time and the definition of the legal terms at that time. Um, and then, you know, 1913 was really the, the original coup on our country. The Federal Reserve Act and the 16th Amendment were definitely passed at that time. Whether it was ratified or not ratified, um, I, I think that that's irrelevant at this fact because both of them are unconstitutional. Number one, the 16th Amendment is unconstitutional because right now the 16th Amendment lays disproportionate taxes, which is unconstitutional. Number two is the Federal Reserve Act of 1913 is unconstitutional simply because Congress does not have the authority to give a third party the ability to coin, coin, print, money, and regulate thereof. There's nowhere in the Constitution that gives them that authority. Article 1, Section 8 is very, very clear in the duties of Congress. So Armando, I'm curious... What was it that you discovered? What, what was, uh, what's your, if you had, let's say a minute or two minutes to tell people what you know about the tax code and why it's evil and why it's BS, what would you say to them?
1: I I try to keep it simple because people, when you start talking specifics, they, their eyes kind of roll to the back of their head. So what I tell them is that it's theft of the fruits of your labor. You earn that paycheck, all of it. You're taking home 80%, maybe 70% of it. You're giving it to the government for convenience sake. They're stealing it from you, and then you got to do paperwork to get your own money back? If I were to do that, you'd call me a crook hmm. if I did that to you. So simply, it's theft. Now, if you want to get into the specifics, do some homework, and I can send you in directions where a lot of it you know where you can read up on this but basically we do pay taxes. Doesn't it make more sense? I call it smart tax. Simple math at the register tax. You pay when you buy. It's a national sales tax. If you don't have the money you don't buy. You control yourself. Now you have no control because every hundred dollars you make you're giving it twenty dollars to a stranger that says they're gonna take care of it for you. That's theft. That's my simple explanation.
0: That's what changed my mind. And I agree with you. And one of the other things is that I've looked, just like Aaron Russo did, there's no law out there that says that you have to pay an income tax. There's nothing out there that says that you have to file a 1040. It's actually, it claims to be a voluntary tax. Yeah.
1: Yep, I've, I've read that. Um, I agree with that. And again, like you mentioned, the ratification of the 16th Amendment has always been in question. Um, it was done in the dark of night. So, that's uh, the only thing I see happening today that's going to help fix this issue is a convention of states where it's addressed to eliminate the 16th amendment from our constitution and go back to the way it was prior to the civil war. I believe during the civil war, the first income tax was initiated as a temporary tax to fund the war. and It it went away until it became a constitutional amendment in 1913 Mm -hmm. and people are afraid though you know that's the problem that's why i said thank you for having the courage to talk about this because most people are scared when they start talking about taxes And, and that's not american in 1913 if you look i think was it Karl marx was writing in the 1870s i believe
0: yep
1: and one of You read the Communist Manifesto, one of the first propositions is a graduated income tax.
0: That's communist. That it is. And what it does is it actually increases the revenue of the government and allows them to take more further um, reach over the, the freedoms and the liberties of the people. Because the people have less money to do actual things with and the government has more money to actually implement controls and structures. But Armando, I appreciate the call. Thank you so much. I'm going to continue on this conversation because I think this is an important one to have. We talked about it a little bit last night on my Daily Dose podcast, but I'm going to get a little bit more into it. I'm going to talk about the same things, but maybe some different ideas on this. Now, I mentioned there something called lawful money, and this is where it gets really, really important because we have to build a foundation when we talk about these things, We have the 13th and the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Now, there's an interesting thing about the 13th and the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. Number one, the 13th Amendment says that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have not been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now, this came about from the Imagination Proclamation at the end of the Civil War, right? that we're ending slavery. Well, guess what? You don't need the 13th Amendment. The Declaration of the Independence, which is one of the foundational legal documents of this country, comes out and states right there, all men are created equal, men being mankind, all mankind are created equal, granted by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So you don't need the 13th Amendment to tell you that. But see, the 13th Amendment wasn't meant to free anybody. See, In the United States of America, before the 13th Amendment, there's one state of existence that you can live in. That's freedom. That's your God-given right, to live in freedom. When the 13th Amendment came in, it declared two states of existence that you can live in. Now, see if you can hear it. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. Take the opposite of them. The opposite of slavery is freedom. The opposite of involuntary servitude is voluntary servitude. Or in other words, contractual law. Contractual law, business law, these types of things, corporate law, these all derive from a, a, a an older law, the law of the sea, known as admiralty law. But when we invert the terminology here, slavery and involuntary servitude, what we get is we get freedom and voluntary servitude. So the 13th Amendment states that... You can exist in a state of freedom or voluntary servitude. Now, think about that for a second. Because the next amendment, the 14th Amendment, was passed, I think, about, uh, about less than 10 years later, is really where this drives it home. And we're going to explain this to you here in a second. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and I'm going to explain to you the 14th Amendment, and then we're going to get into lawful money and what this really all means and wrap this kind of up to show you why you've been lied to your whole life. And this year they're claiming a third of all I make. Now I'm just as patriotic as the next man. And you know I love that red, white, and blue. So I'll help to pay this rising cost of freedom. But I'll be danged if I'm going to change my point of view Cause every time the bureaucrats run out of money Well, Congress sucks it to the working man And I don't think it's one of the money When they take so much of my money And do things with it I don't understand and I don't know why they feel they've got to squeeze us But I'll tell you just exactly where I stand I believe in 10% Enough, Jesus. To Dark Delight with Josh Reed on the WYSL stations. All right, we are back with the Dark Delight Show. And I think this is an important topic. That's why I'm talking about this. Armando agrees with me. So we're going to continue here. I'm going to read you to the Fourth Amendment of the United States of America, the, the, the Constitution. All right? And I want you to listen to just a few words I'm going to point out after the fact. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Now, the utilization of the word person here in the Constitution is not what you believe it to be. It's not talking about a human being. This is why it says the right of the people to be secure in their persons. The legal definition of a person is a human or non-human entity that is treated as a person for legal for limited legal purposes. Typically, legal persons can be sued or sue, own property and enter into contracts. All right. Now, why does that matter? Because if you scroll down to the Fourteenth Amendment, which is the Dred Scott Act that came after the Thirteenth Amendment, which we just talked about, basically issues a state that you can exist in, either freedom or slavery, right? Voluntary slavery or freedom. The Fourteenth Amendment, the Dred Scott Act, comes out. You got to remember Dred Scott. He was uh, after the Thirteenth Amendment came out. He went out there. He tried to start a business, and uh, they're like, "No, we don't. We don't care for you. You're not a citizen, right?" And so the Fourteenth Amendment came out, stating that hey, look, all these, uh, you know, all these people that are newly that were born in the United States are are citizens, and you have to respect that. And so the Fourteenth Amendment states: all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction an equal protection of the laws. Why doesn't it say all people born in the United States? So the term born here, as well, is a legal term, okay? This goes into admiralty law. But we have to understand when they're talking about person here, they're not talking about a free human being granted the rights and freedoms and liberties by their creator that the declaration of is talking about. They're talking about a contracted person. They're talking about a legal entity. The 14th Amendment is talking about all legal entities created, born in the United States, are subject to the jurisdiction thereof and are known as citizens. So this 14th Amendment relates directly, persons, legal entities, directly to the term citizen and defines it as such. As well as that they have privileges and immunities, not rights, liberties, and freedoms. So this becomes interesting when we start to look at kind of the the society that we live in today. Because the 13th Amendment basically says that you can exist in a state, a state of freedom as a free human being in the United States of America with all your rights protected by the Bill of Rights and so forth, or you can exist in a state of voluntary servitude, which is contracted, which is under contract law. Then you have the 14th Amendment that comes in and says, okay, if you're in that contract law, then you are known as a person, and that person is known as a citizen, And you fall under the privileges and immunities of that citizen. And it's interesting because this is like 1865 that this happened. 1871 is when the Act of 1871 was implemented. And this is the incorporation of Washington, D.C., where Congress and Senate became the board of directors and the president of the United States became the chairman. 1874 is when the codification of the U.S. Code first came about. What does all that mean? Is that they started doing business as a corporation and treating all citizens as contracts for the state. Now, why does this important? why does this matter? Because in the 1940s, under the New Deal and the Social Security Act from FDR, they started implementing na- nationwide birth certificates, legal documents of manifest that were created at the time of birth. Born, birth, created, manifest, okay? These are admiralty terms. These birth certificates, on the back of them, you can go look at your birth certificate right now. They have a number on the back-hand side, the right-hand side. Firstly, these are bond certificates. If you look at them, it's a bond certificate. You can actually go onto the U.S. Department of Treasury's website and search your bond. It's traded on the open market. Why? Because that's how the United States of America is able to have a credit and debt system and go out there and borrow money from other countries and from banks and so forth, is they have to have some type of collateral, or in other words, chattel. And that collateral is you and me, your energy, your lifespan, and the imports and exports that come into this country, and the goods and products produced and services produced in this country. Now, where am I going with? Because this is kind of like, oh, okay, I I can see that, right? It's, It's just word magic, right? It's word soup. That's really what it is. And it is. Until you start realizing that as an American, as a human being living in this country, this is not what the founding fathers intended. This is exactly against what they intended. And so these people during the 19th century trapped us in this word soup. In the 1940s, they basically put us into this position where our contracts start at birth, that we're born into that contract, that indenturement of slavery. But it's voluntary because our parents sign us off. 1913, we entered the Federal Reserve Act, which is the banking dynasty that comes in and takes over the country. If you remember... uh, Amschild, Mayor Rothschild, said in the, the mid-1800s that, give me a, a, give me control of a nation's money. I care not who makes the laws. The Federal Reserve Act, I've already stated, was unconstitutional. Why is it unconstitutional? Well, think about this here. Congress has the ability to coin and print money, all right? And if I go to Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, it says that Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States, but all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States, to borrow money on the credit of the United States, to regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with Indian tribes, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. To coin money, regulate the value thereof and of foreign coin, and fix the standards of weights the measures, to provide the punishment of counterfeiting, to establish post office and roads, to promote progress of science and useful arts, to constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court, to define punishment. Right, goes on. Here's the key the Federal Reserve is nowhere in the United States Constitution. Congress cannot give up the authority to coin and print money, to lay taxes, to regulate the value. The Federal Reserve regulates the value of our money. This is where the interest rates come from. Nowhere in Article 1, Section 8, or Section 10, does it say that Congress has the ability to hire a third party to come in to regulate the money. Interesting, isn't it? So therefore, the third, the, the nineteen thirteen Federal Reserve Act is unconstitutional from the get go. But this gets even deeper because any time that you're talking about the about money in the United States Constitution, we're talking about a specific definition here. Okay, when they're talking about money or dollars in the United States Constitution, it's not defined. Now, in the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, this mentioned a term that got a lot of people thinking. This term is called lawful money. So lawful money is a term used in the Federal Reserve Act. The act authorizes the Board of Governors and the Federal Reserve System to issue Federal Reserve notes. The act states that the Federal Reserve notes shall be obligations of the United States and shall be receivable by all national and member banks and Federal Reserve banks and for all taxes, customs, and other public dues. They shall be redeemed in lawful money on the demand at the Treasury Department of the United States and in the city of Washington, D.C., or at any Federal Reserve bank. The act did not, however, define the term lawful money. Now, up to 1913, the only currency issued by the United States that was legally recognized as lawful money was various issues of demand notes, also known as old demand notes, and the United States notes authorized by Congress during the Civil War. The thing about these is you could take these to the Treasury and trade them in for gold or silver. Now, at the time, some currency was not considered legal tender, although it could be used by national banking associations as lawful money reserves. Thus, the term lawful money had a broader meaning than the term legal tender. Now, this is directly from the Fe- Board of Governors at the Federal Reserve System, the Federal Reserve's website that I'm reading this. Then they say this, in 1933, Congress changed the law so that the U.S. coins and currency, including Federal Reserve notes, regardless of when issue constitutes legal tender for all purposes. Now, I'm one of those people that goes out there and I said, okay, well, wh- what was this law? This was House Joint Resolution 192. This was passed on June 5th and 6th, 1933. Now, the problem with HJR 192, okay, is they redefine money. So Congress has the ability to coin and print money. They have the ability to go in there, right, and regulate the value. They don't have the ability to redefine what money is. This is important to understand. And so this HJR 192 says, as using this, they talk about obligations again. And this is an important word because it's actually mentioned in Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. Now, obligation is debts or anything pertaining to the government that the government has to pay out or takes in in payment. And I'll tell you why this HRJ 192 actually came about. So it says, as used this resolution, the term obligation means an obligation. It defines obligation as an obligation. So they don't define that, which is interesting. And they say, including every obligation of and to the United States accepting currency. The United States here is not an individual. It's talking about the country accepting payment or giving payment out. Okay, another break. We'll be right back. Dark to light with Josh Reed on the WYSL stations. All right, so so what am I talking about? Well, basically, think about this: is in 1933, the United States was going basically through a bankruptcy, a financial crisis. They had gold and silver in the reserves. People could take that those those certificates or those the, that that those uh, those dollars in those days and go to the Treasury and get that gold and silver and they could pull it out. Well, that became a problem in the regulation of the money because if a foreign country who we borrowed money from came in there and said, hey, I'm trading in all my my US dollars and I want my gold and silver, now you can produce massive volatility within the, 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 the actual stability of the dollar. And that's kind of what this brought about this HJR 192. Now here's the thing is they come out there and they redefine money they redefine what money is. They say that money is the term coin or currency means a coin or currency to the United States, including the Federal Reserve notes and circulating notes at the Federal Reserve banks and national banking associations. If I go back to Article One, Section 8 of the United States Constitution, nowhere in there does it give Congress the right to define what money is. Therefore, that 1933 House Joint Resolution 192 is unconstitutional. Congress has no authority to define what money is. So then you ask yourself, what is it meant by lawful money, and what is the definition of money as per the United States Constitution? And I'm glad you asked that. Now, if you go to Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution, this is where you actually get a little bit of this, that... They say that no state shall enter into a treaty alliance or confederation, grant letters of marquee or reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payments of debts. And so they mention gold and silver here. Now, they go on in the Constitution, they talk about the dollar. Now, the dollar is actually defined later on in 1789 under the Coinage Act. And so the Coinage Act, right comes out there and declares, and this is, I mean, you can find this in Article um, Article 8, Chapter 5, Subsection 1, under the coinage power of Congress, um, under the annotated Constitution. But basically, you can find out that in 1789, they defined what money was and what the dollar was. The dollar, which is money in the United States, was represented as 371 and one quarter grains of fine silver matched to the value of the Spanish dollar. That's it. That was the definition of money in the Constitution. That was the definition of a dollar in the Constitution. Nowhere in the Constitution does it give Congress the authority to change that definition. Now, what does this have to do with taxes? See, the problem is, is that lawful money is 371 grams of fine-grained silver or gold, precious metals. This has always been what real money has been pertaining to the Constitution. Your taxes can only be laid on lawful money. They can't be laid on fiat or fake money. Money that is invaluable and has no value whatsoever. Of which our dollar today is that such. Donald Trump wrote a forward to a book. I forgot the name of the book, but it states this. He says this specifically, is that you you only pay taxes on lawful money. You can't pay taxes on something that has no value. If you're exchanging something that has no value, you don't pay taxes on it. And this is why the idea of lawful money comes about. And so this is why they had the 1913 Federal Reserve Act. And this is why they had the 16th Amendment come in. Because they wanted to manipulate the system. They wanted to get people into a state of contractual indentured slavery within the money system of which drains their actual real wealth, property, gold, silver and they did exactly that in the 20th century and there's so much more here <laughs> there's, this is like a massive red pill i could sit here and just talk about this for hours but but this is the truth is that right now in the united states of america that dollar that you have if you took it to the department of the treasury and said hey give me some lawful money they're just going to give you a dollar now there's been supreme court cases out there that have argued this and the problem is, is they go out there and these people argue it with with basically under contract law or pertaining to the 14th Amendment. They don't argue it with the defining characteristics of what money actually is. See, if you went into a court of law and you asked for the definition of a dollar as per the Constitution, definition of money as per the Constitution, you would show that the 1913 Federal Reserve Act, the 16th Amendment, as well as the 1933 um, F, our uh, the uh, the House Resolution 192 are unconstitutional because they don't take in the context the original definitions of the Constitution of what they mean by money or dollar, as well as Congress doesn't have the authority to do those two things specifically. <clears throat> the Supreme Court in 1916 already ruled that the income tax created no the, the 16th Amendment the income tax amendment created no new taxes because Congress already had the ability. But that ability is per lawful money. They can lay taxes on lawful money. And since you don't transact in lawful money, you owe no taxes. And you can show this legal process. You can show the whole history of this. You know, in the Supreme Court, listen. The Supreme Court has the ultimate jurisdiction over the constitutional interpretation. Has the Supreme Court ever been wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Have they ever been overturned? Oh, yeah. Other Supreme Courts come in and they overturn the Supreme Court. Just just what happened with Roe versus Wade. So we understand that the Supreme Court's decisions basically acclimate towards the times that they're in. And during the times that some of these decisions were made, 1862, I think, was one, and 1979 was another... We had, basically, bankers and globalists trying to control this country. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that you go to your your employee and cancel your W-2s and say, stop, I'm the, stop paying taxes? No. See, we operate and live in a system. And since we take part in this system as persons, as contracted to the state, we have to abide by the rules that are put out there by that contract. That's the truth, is that our country has been so corrupted since its inception that right now it's almost nearly impossible to get out of that system. Now, can you get out of paying taxes or can you get your money back on your taxes? Well, this is what Donald Trump was talking about, is there's ways to file your taxes. There's ways to go out there and get that money all back. They actually have them pay you. Now, pay attention to me because I'm going to be bringing more out of this. I'm going to talk to some professionals in this. Uh, I got some friends and con- connections. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to be putting out some blog articles on my Substack. stack and put more info out on this. But listen, this is a great topic. I love this topic of money because, well, we're not using real money in this country. We're using fake money. We're using fiat money. And it has no value. And therefore, it's unconstitutional. Therefore, you don't need to pay income tax on it because it's not lawful. Anyways, I hope you guys have a fantastic day. We're going to talk to you here uh, tomorrow, so I hope you have a great day. Take care. Talk more Dark Light Show later. Bye.